Welcome to the Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Tell on everybody. All my life, I have felt older than I am. A 400-year-old living in a 25-year-old's body. In December of last year, I listened to a recording of my astrological reading that my parents had commissioned from our family astrologer. Now, before I go any further, there are a few things you should know. One, these readings are based on a chart that's drawn up using the exact date and time of one's birth. My sister had recently asked my parents to send her her reading, so my parents had emailed me mine as well. Two, I'm not particularly bought into astrology. I also don't think it ruins lives. I think humans are meaning-making machines, and astrology brings our attention to a vague enough plot onto which we can project our own stories. And three, my family's astrologer is also our accountant. <laughs> the fact that this man does our taxes makes it a little bit harder for me to dismiss what he says as entirely woo-woo. <laughs> so I'm sitting in my bed, headphones in, listening to this reading, and about halfway in, I'm pretty amused. So far, he said that I'll have lots of success as a student, that I'll do well in my career, but that I won't stay with one organization for very long, and has carefully outlined three optimal windows for marriage, one of which has already passed. He moves on to explain that I'll live a long life and that the latter half of my life will be dedicated to service, giving away my time, my energy, and money in support of friends and strangers. The reason for this, he says, is that this is her last life. This means that debtors from all of her past lives will come back to collect their debts so that when she leaves, her balance sheet will be at zero. <laughs> and there you have it, a reading from an accountant slash astrologer. <laughs> Considering that I had never thought seriously about reincarnation or the idea of multiple lives, that last piece should have been just as amusing as everything else before it. And yet, my body reacted. It took my brain a few moments to catch up, to decipher my body's reaction and explain it back to me. This is my last life, which means my soul has lived many lives, which means it's likely very old which means there might be some merit to all the times that I've said and felt that I am a 400-year-old living in a 25-year-old's body, at least in the expert opinion of my accountant slash astrologer. <laughs> you see, my 25-year-old, on her first date with her partner, sensed that he might be a little older than her and tried to casually ask for his age. When he shared that he was 10 years older, she wondered if she should be concerned. Meanwhile, my 400-year-old murmured, what does it matter? You're the one who's 400. <laughs> if anything, you're the senior citizen in this relationship. My 25-year-old body is broken after an eight-hour hike in the mountains. Meanwhile, my 400-year-old soul is dancing among trees 
that share her age, her confidence, and her calm. My 25-year-old mind worries about money and scarcity and being in a place where it needs to depend on others to meet her basic needs, a place where she just doesn't feel free. Meanwhile, my 400-year-old knows that I'll be taken care of. She just knows. She sees me not as me alone, but as a part of a larger community that is basically waiting to pay her the moment she stops resisting. My 25-year-old worries about her heart and what would happen if her and her partner chose to go their own ways. She worries prematurely about what it would take to put that heart back together. Meanwhile, my 400-year-old knows that our partners are meant to be one of our greatest teachers. And whether they are teachers for a lifetime or for a few years, they will teach us and we will teach them exactly what we both need to know in the time we have together. She knows that the gift is in those lessons and not in the number of years clocked. My 25-year-old worries that her curiosity-driven approach to her career is irresponsible. Should she just pick a job and commit? Is choosing to work in the gig economy just an excuse for a fear of commitment? Meanwhile, my 400-year-old just wants to learn. She wants to understand our deepest human motivations and bear witness to humans doing their most humanly things, loving, grieving, and dying. She wants to be present with humans in these moments that transcend cultures, careers, and age. And no matter the job title on my LinkedIn profile, for her, it'll just be a container in which to play. There are times when my 25-year-old gets in the way of my 400-year-old, where it feels like the 25-year-old's anxieties and insecurities get in the way of the 400-year-old's flow. And there are times when the 25-year-old feels extremely weary and weighed down by everything that the 400-year-old represents, wisdom, autonomy, unattachment, years and years and years of experience. My 25-year-old is triggered by every other thing her parents say. She wants them to trust her and trust that she'll find her path on the road less traveled. Meanwhile, my 400-year-old doesn't even see them as parents. She sees them for their anxieties and their insecurities. She wants to comfort them. There are times when people come to the 25-year-old with questions that are meant for the 400-year-old. And in those moments, the 25-year-old feels like a vessel through which the 400-year-old wisdom is channeled. And when people reflect that back to her, that what she has shared with them is indeed wisdom, it doesn't feel like hers. It makes her feel like an imposter, almost as though she's taking credit for wisdom that's not hers. The 25-year-old holds anxieties and insecurities around enoughness. Am I doing enough? Am I trying hard enough? Am I putting in enough time? Am I enough? She constantly contends with this idea that she's not enough. In these moments, the 400-year-old lets the last slip and asks, enough for what? What are you trying to be enough for? Leaving the 25-year-old speechless. The 25-year-old went to the Gambia and Malawi, and working in communities there, she was so acutely aware of the ways in which she held power and privilege. And she was always so careful about how she navigated it in community. Meanwhile, the 400-year-old was so sure that she belonged there. 
she felt so at home on this red soil and was certain that it was neither the first time that she had been there nor the last time that she, she would be. She felt a deep-seated connection to the red soil that the 25-year-old couldn't bring herself to say out loud. She didn't want to be one of those people who came back from quote-unquote Africa and felt a connection. My 25-year-old moves through this world like she's trying to survive, and my 400-year-old moves through this world like she's been there, done that, many times over. So my accountant slash astrologer had just said that this was my last life, and my body had reacted. My 25-year-old, a sucker for a great story, was enamored by the fact that past debtors from past ideas, from past lifetimes, could come back to collect their debts in various forms. Meanwhile, my 400-year-old breathed this incredibly deep sigh of relief. Almost there, I could hear her say. Thank goodness, I'm almost there. And in that moment, as my 25-year-old felt my 400-year-old's relief, she broke out into the biggest grin. This was real. It all made sense. There was indeed a 400-year-old living inside her body. And if she didn't believe it when her accountant slash astrologer told her it was her last life, the relief that was now radiating through her body was proof enough. Hostetter. Hostetter is my brother's name. Oh, I thought it was my name. That's a good point. But I'm but you're Hostetter. My brother is Hostetter. And I'm Paul Dorr. Welcome to the Stories You Don't Tell podcast. We're talking about... So can I just interrupt you right here? Because I don't know if we were doing this all, all, all along, but are we really welcoming people to the podcast in the middle of the podcast? We've been saying it every time. So okay. at this point, yes, we are still. Maybe we're re-welcoming people. Like I presume you play. Yeah, you know, I don't edit the podcast, um, and so I presume you also put in some sort of intro at the beginning so people know what's going on. Yeah, they are aware that it is a podcast and that it is called Stories We Don't Tell, and it is about storytelling. Okay, so they don't know who we are. No. Okay, so we've already covered that. Now I'm Paul Dor, and I'm Stefan Hostetter. Thank you. Uh, yes, exactly. Um, and that was, the story you just heard was uh, was from Temwa, um, and uh, it was uh, it was a it was a beautiful story that was told at our January event of this year, and uh, we, the sort of we're, we're the last couple of episodes we've been taking little pieces of of the stories uh, or, or things about the stories and sort of expanding on them, um, and and this one is sort of about taking um, what was sort of a, a feeling. Um, and, and turning it, a feeling that she had when she obviously heard this experience and turning it into a story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I, uh, I think right from the beginning it was, it was pretty, I, I mean, the first, um, draft of it that she, she sort of presented to us, it was pretty like, you know, pretty flushed out in yeah. her, her mind. And it's always like great to see when, um, you have somebody has sort of a concept and they've got it like they've got it worked out. They know how to do it. It's just they've got to like tweak um, little things in it. Mm. Yeah, exactly. 
I feel like there's these stories that that people come up with, um, or well, these more often than not when it's your first story, especially. And there's some people whose first story is something that like they truly have been thinking about for so long, mm-hmm. um, and and in, in in this case maybe even 400 years, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and and I think that's that's so often we get the stories that don't have a ton of edits afterwards. It's because it's been it's 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 sat inside of them uh, that when they released it, it was exactly you know it, they were done. You know, mm-hmm. it was like here's the here's the thing. This is. This is this is my truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and what I what I like about these kind of stories is that, uh, especially the way she did it, where when she was, you know, kind of talking about herself now and this four hundred year old self, is you you can you can kind of when you're exploring an idea r- rather than say a more linear kind of traditional story starting you know you to finish. It, start to finish is that you can she has all these bits and pieces that she of of say examples or things that she wants to talk about and i love how the like one of those things is interesting on its own but then when you start kind of stacking them on top of each other or putting them next to each other then they it's just my editor brain like i'm an editor like that's what i've been taught since i was for years of just like one thing means something another thing means uh it, you know one another thing by on its own but then when you put them next to each other they create a whole other meaning that you might not have even been able to like see in those right. individual things so i just like when you the way that she kind of was able to connect all of the all of this stuff that is very meaningful to her all of these different pieces but then i think they all exist on their own but then they are able to have kind of this you know, kind of deeper overall kind of idea that she was trying to uh, get at. Yeah, they sort of, you're you're able to to sort of take, um, and and I think the the part of here actually the the thing that that makes this story work is the fact that that it's this it's this sort of this feeling that sort of this sort of like. And she, you know, she does the the thing that we've we talked about a bunch. I think is fantastic, which is sort of hiding the ending at the beginning, uh, or even hiding, just sort of starting with the story and coming back to it at the end. Um, and then by the time it comes back to the end, you feel it in a way that you don't understand the beginning, right? You know, the beginning sort of opens up this opportunity, and then you sort of like, oh, well, that's interesting. And mm-hmm. and then and then and then you're able to layer in the meaning. So when you come back to it the second time, you feel the you, you're with them, and you feel the same emotion that they did. Yeah, and and I, you know, I, this is just I'm just shooting in the dark here, and I'm taking a wild guess, but um, I, I, you know, with the with that kind of concept of like uh, what I was saying about the editing and everything, mm. is that there also is something subconscious going on that you these things that are being kind of put together, you're 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 as a person, you are also like kind of putting those things together in your own brain and creating like. Uh, a meaning for yourself and that's why like movies or tv or whatever that's why a big part of why they work is because of the way that that you have an emotional reaction to how they're kind of pieced together and likewise it was so amazing because a lot of people really connected to the story in the audience like big time yeah and you know people might not have thought about themselves as a 400 year old like they never they might not have it might, it, what I'm trying to say is they might not have connected necessarily to the individual pieces, 
but whatever she however she was able to bring all of those things together i think it made some uh, a real strong obviously because yeah. numerous mm-hmm. people told sort of, us that yeah and told, her, told that. her that yeah i reached out yeah that they really really connected to, the, to this yeah I, I yeah i think it was and i think that's the proof of a good story right if you can manage to take something that feels amorphous to you uh that's something that you felt but you've never really been able to pin down yeah um and then convey that in a way that everyone else is like recognize sees themselves in that feeling right mm-hmm. sees themselves in the concept of like oh man I've I, I've done that. I've felt that. Mm-hmm. That to me is that's storytelling. That's that's the whole game. Like yeah. that's the that that's it. You've you've succeeded. You've done the entire gambit. You've you've convinced the audience, or you've given the audience uh, a second or a minute or seven minutes of insight into themselves through your own experience. Yeah. Uh, and if that's if that's not the purpose of storytelling, then I don't know what is. She nailed it. Swish. Uh, Stefan just did was it a basketball that you just yeah, did? Yeah, I said okay. swish. That's a basketball right. reference. Yeah. I don't know. Sports. <laughs> All right. Let's r- let's wrap it up. Yeah. That that was, a, I just did a wrap up s- that, signal. Yeah, yeah, you did a sit up signal, but there's there's no sport that has that wrap up signal. It's not like you should have like blown a whistle or something. Uh but uh but yeah, that uh this is I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Thanks everyone. Subscribe to the Stories We Don't Tell podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about the podcast, blog, and live events, find us on Facebook or visit storieswedonttell.org. I thought we nailed it until the end. I think that was actually relatively good until the end.